0: Welcome again to the Church Before the Watching World. We are now in our final episode. I know this has just been going uh, so amazingly well and we are coming to the end. This is episode four of the Church Before the Watching World podcast series from Black Berea. And in this episode, we end with a panel conversation between me, Israel, Richard and Mary, where we sit down at New City Church in Shepherd's Bush where we talk a little while about the future of the church specifically in four areas we look at the multicultural and multi-generational church Also, the first two categories and how the multicultural and the multi-generational church can go forward in mission third category and justice fourth category so there's a lot of intersection here across culture across generation across mission and justice in thinking about the continued relevance of the church in the world and especially in the city of london so we hope that this episode closes it off really well by looking forward um, as a church as christians and as a city that everyone listening irrespective of what background you're coming from can actually look and consider what the church is going to look like going forward in terms of its own mission and what it's influence and outcomes will be in the communities in the boroughs in the city councils that it's in and influencing and affecting and surrounding so we hope that you enjoy it we hope that at the end of the series not only are you better equipped to think about the continued role and relevance of the church in the world but actually that you've been given a whole host of questions for yourself to ask and answer as you continue to think about these questions and press deeply into this topic so I hope you enjoy towards a multicultural and a multi-generational vision of mission and justice in the city of London.
1: A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview.
2: Worldviews are the grids, they are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hello everyone, um, my name is Mary Richard, I'm sure you know Israel very well. Um, thank you so much for coming, but to start off, why is the, I'll ask Israel because you drafted everything, <laughs> why is the conversation around the multi-ethnic church, multi-ethnic um, mission and justice, why is it an important qu- question? Why is it a conversation Yeah.
0: To to be in keeping with the theme of this entire um, conference series, it it goes towards the the vision that's in Revelation. So the church trying to think about its vision in the city actually is a microcosm of a greater vision that God has already given the church, that that God says the community he's gathering um, to himself is a community that is made up of... Different nationalities, different ethnicities, different people across all lines, and bringing them together to worship the one God who created them. And so, this matters for us because, it, first of all, it's about us keeping to the vision that God has given us. Saying, "How can we? Be, how can we be faithful to God? Before we can be faithful witnesses to the world, we have to first of all understand and realize what it means to be faithful um, to God who made us, and then." Understanding our faithfulness to him actually empowers us to go out and be faithful um, outside as witnesses to the world that's watching us. Um, but also, I think, not only is it God's vision, it's actually God's nature. One of the um, big theological discussions throughout centuries has been the idea of God as diversity and unity, that from all existence, God has been three in one. That actually, there's a there's a very real sense in which not only as image bearers, but as the church, uh, we seek to reflect the image of God by showing what diversity and unity looks like. Um, so it's almost a, a foretaste for, for, the, for the world when they come into the church, they should get a, a glimpse of what God looks like when they enter the church. And part of that, it's not the, the multi-ethnic church isn't the whole story, but part of that is seeing how diverse communities become one as they worship the triune God.
2: Richard anything to add
1: um, yeah, yeah, I'll say a few things i I think when it comes to the topic of diversity within the church uh as well as as well as what it says of God's nature, it also says something to about about the people that God's saving so right now I'm speaking through um at my church i'm I'm teaching for the doctrines of grace, and that's essentially saying that God is sovereign in dispensing his grace to those whom He saves right that he saves not according to anything in the person, but that he saves, um, you know, by his own power and that he saves whom he pleases, right? And something beautiful that we see there is, one, we don't know who the, who those people that he's saving are, right? We don't, we don't know. So we preach the gospel faithfully to all men and women and whatnot. But one thing we do know about those people is, as Israel said, they are those from every single tribe, every single tongue, every single nation. They're those from different socio-economic classes, they're those from different geographical regions, um, they're those with different cultures and backgrounds. And and that's the one thing we know is that God is saving a different type of people, right? At the core of, for example, something like a sin like racism is that you are rejecting everything that is other and saying, no, I only want things that resemble me, right? And when the church is racist, the church is saying, okay, no, we only think that those that should worship God are those who look like me or or, or inhabit or, or exhibit certain characteristics that I exhibit. And that doesn't even need to be as explicit as in terms of skin tone, but that could be down to, oh, even cultural expressions, right? Um, your culture is lower than my culture because I, I, this is the culture that God favors, right? And that would be, that's a, sim- that's a sinful kind of view because what that ultimately says is this, even though God has made trillions and trillions of people across the ages, across different time periods, et cetera, for in different regions, in different cultures, with different socioeconomic backgrounds and, and, and whatnot and upbringings, and they're all image bearers, dare I say snapshots of, what God, of, of something of God's glory, we're trying to say that we can capture God's glory just by focusing on a small segment of that whole universe or that whole world. And that's where the sin creeps in. And that's... And that's really to downplay the glory of God in a massive way. Because even in the midst of all of our diversity, we only demonstrate and display just a drop in the grand scheme of God's um, diverse glory. And that's and that's why the multi-ethnic church, that's why the, the multi-class church, that's why the multi-everything church is so important. Um, and secondly, just I think you I think you hinted at it, but Christ prays that they may be one as you know, as we are one, right? And so yes, like, like you said, quite explicitly, there's a link between the triune um, uni- uh, unity in the midst of its diversity and simultaneously, how we too are meant to be united um, through Christ and how that's meant to be there for a witness to the world. And the reason it's a witness is because how do you have a building or how do you have a community of people who feel so comfortable with one another when everything that we, by, by the standards that we know, tell them they actually, they shouldn't be comfortable. Um, so yeah,
2: mm, yeah, those are really good points I even think of um, John twelve when Christ says, um, "When I'm lifted up, I will draw all, all men." men to myself, um, yeah. of, course of course, it doesn't mean everyone, but all types of men. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, that's just a, a very important reflection to have that Christ himself is is searching for all types of men to say from each different culture and ethnicity. Um, mm. And it, it kind of links into the topic of diversity in terms mm. of, um, of course, diversity is such a big thing in at work everyone's trying to ensure that the board members that the Quarters, yeah. yeah that everyone is it reflects uh, so men women age culture wh- whatever it is and i'm trying to think of like what how important is diversity to the church in terms of so if you think of a local church uh should that local church be diverse should it represent the community around them should it be indigenous like how important is diversity to the church
1: um there are going <laughs> to be many factors Okay. Um, I'm just going to be very nuanced to, okay, to begin can, with because I don't want to.
2: So, is is diversity important to the church? Yes.
1: I want to provide the nuance.
2: Okay. cool. I've I have even, I not I haven't is, said anything. Israel, Israel, that Israel, is diversity nuance. important to the church? Then I'll provide the nuance. Okay. Because yeah. I don't want
1: some people to think, okay, because we don't exhibit this, that means that we've fallen. Or oh, we've, okay.
2: Or
0: okay, I get what you're saying. Right? Uh, okay. Um. Well, yes. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all
2: I wanted.
0: Yes. Diversity is important to the church. Um. And especially, like you mentioned, in regards to the local community, the church seeking to um, be a repre- be representative of the demographic around it actually is its, it's pointing to how willing and how um, serious the church considers reaching the people in its immediate context. Mm. Um, if the church is, and I, I'll give one example. Um, I know I was listening to a, a pastor who was. Talking about his his church being in a community, especially in the entire north region of the city, was 80% black, and his church of a thousand was eighty percent white. And the question he had in his mind was literally we have obviously eighty percent of our church, about eight hundred people driving into a black community, because they don't immediately live there and then driving out, but the people who live there don't see this building and this community. As a community that they can actually turn to um, for hope, for, for for a true experience of who God is, and so what that does is that I think it, it it can actually be a counter message to the world that says this this church here that's in this community that's majority black, for example, doesn't actually see the the need to reach those right next to them, yeah. um, and the, the inverse message is that this church considers whiteness to be a significant part of what their community is um, and those those messages can be dangerous now Richard will provide nuance of, as to again yeah. that isn't to say so when I, when I give that example that isn't to say that a church that is 80% white in a um, region that's 80% black is necessarily wrong that's not the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to make is that there's there are implicit messages constantly being communicated to people every time um, through what they see. And so whether we, you know, there's a different... Yeah, I think I remember learning this in in, in med school, actually, you know. Um, you only say what is heard, as far as communication is concerned. If someone misinterprets you, then in a very real sense, you never really said what you wanted to say. Um, so we have to constantly ask, what are people hearing? When they see our church, what are what are they, what message are they are they receiving? Not the message I think I'm giving, because that doesn't really matter. Um, I don't. The, the question is, do they hear what we want to communicate? And if they're hearing something different, then it's it's us our burden, to to change something to change what they hear. Not their burden to say, well, you have to hear us properly. You have to change your ears. Maybe you know, get the wax out and stuff like that. It's, it's not their burden. We have to really think, why are they hearing something different? and then try and change that. So, so that's, that's me talking from the negative. Diversity, I think, actually gives an, a message to um, the immediate community by being representative that this church is for all people. And that's the message of, of, of the Christian faith, that it's for all people, um, that it's for every type of people across class, across race, across ethnicity. And so when someone walks into a, a church that's diverse, they are receiving a message that actually anyone can come here and approach this triune God, this God that they're, they're proclaiming. And I don't have to feel that um, these other parts of my identity are, are necessary qualifiers for me receiving the message.
2: Richard, happy with that oh, yeah, I am, I'm very, I'm, very, no, I'm very
1: happy, <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm very happy with diversity. Yeah. I just don't want us to think that, okay, if I now, in my church, I'm, it's quite homogenous in a particular way or or, or shape or form for whatever reason. That means that we're definitely doing something wrong. Because at the same time, we appreciate that, you know, one person sows the seed, another person waters, but it's God who gives the increase. When people Mm -hmm. come into the church, um, it's God who saves, right? And so in one sense, even as much as we try and we strive to see diversity, and we should go out of our way to... To pursue people, for example, in the local community, to to reach those who are, especially those who are uh, downtrodden and 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 overlooked by by the world, et cetera, et cetera. And we should do all of these things. It is very, it's still a sovereign salvation, if that makes sense, if if, if you get what I'm saying. And at the same time, just cultures change, communities change. In my in my area, for example, where our church is where my church is based on mary also attended that church israel was one of us now he belongs to you guys um <laughs> but you know in our kind of context our church probably reflects old hackney more than it does new hackney um our church was also birthed out of a lot of people from the west indies migrated across and they used to actually fellowship in a single house and then eventually they got they got a hold of a building and they and that's just how the church has grown they, they've actually it's actually been a predominantly west indian church because of because of that you know and so so over time don't get me wrong demographics have shifted in one way or another but it's not always caused by um, by the a lack of going out but there it does still it doesn't remove that doesn't remove the fact that there still is a burden for you to go out and reach your immediate community yeah um, i think i think even in acts it's quite interesting because when Christ does send out the disciples um, at the start of the book of Acts, he begins by essentially saying, address your local community, then go a bit broader, then go a bit broader, and then eventually, I mean, eventually end up attacking the whole world. But it, but it starts with the gospel at home. And in one sense, it's always hardest to preach the gospel to those whom you're closest to. Um, just as it is with family, starting with your immediate family usually, yeah. um, and then it's, you know, as you branch out to those who, you, who your your friends, etc. You could probably go and preach the gospel quite easily to somebody you've never met before from some some distant state that you know you're not going to run into again. But somebody who's close to home, you'll have to live life with and you'll have to deal with um, whether they accept the gospel to praise be to God or reject the gospel. And, and what that does to your relationship going forward, that's just, uh, it, it does tend to be quite hard. But yes, diversity, pro appreciate there is nuance at times. Yeah, um,
2: definitely. And even in a, in a local church context, we know that the priority of that local church is to impact local. that local community. So yeah, exactly. um, finding ways in which to engage directly with those in that neighborhood and in that vicinity. And I, f- I think if there's an attempt to do that prayerfully and there's actually a diligent uh, desire to do that, then of course we can yeah, kind of yeah, judge yeah, our yeah. hearts to say that we're doing all that we can. Um, Kind of moving away from like uh, diversity, in a different way, so looking at generational differences, because um, w- when we're thinking of uh, multiculturalism and how the church has tried to engage with kind of a multi-ethnic um, society like London, for example, mm-hmm. what kind of like the, the generational differences? So as we as we go into 2019, 2020, thinking of millennials, Generation Y, Generation Z, or Z, <laughs> what are like the generational differences that you think? Does
1: Gen Y come before Gen Z?
2: Yeah, Gen Y's Millennial. Gen Y's Millennial. Yeah, Gen, Gen Z. Gen Z. <laughs> Gen that Z American Z. Z. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like mid. I'm with, Z. I'm with you on like, Z. M- is it like mid 90s? Mid 90s to like uh, Z, 2000. And, I think mi- end of this year will yeah, be.
1: Yeah,
0: so
2: like. Yeah, 2003, 2003 three. to onwards. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so what are the generational differences that you see? Um, Between,
0: wait, all generational. Are we focusing on Generation Z and Millennials?
2: I'm trying to figure yeah. so what yeah. are like the things that people should be, we should, as, a, as a church should be mindful of?
1: Trends are probably yeah, more Yeah, trends helpful. is a good one. Right. Factors. Um,
0: so yeah, Generation Z, one thing about them is um, they were born with an iPad in their hand. Exactly. Uh, that, that is probably, I think that's probably the most definitive exactly. distinction of Generation Z currently um, out of anything. I mean, there are other things, and I'll talk about them, such um, things like political instability, is another big um, mm. hallmark for them. But starting with the technology, um, what's actually, I remember, again, I, I hate that I can't remember where I hear things from, because I know it's definitely not from my brain. Um, but, Just claim it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember listening to someone saying that. Um, Generation Z essentially has opened up the possibility of something that's never really happened before, which is essentially this. A, a, a 16-year-old boy um, who's raised in New Delhi can have more in common with a 16-year-old girl in Alberta, Canada, than his granddad. That's Generation Z. That because they, just just the possibility of that is what's astonishing, that they can receive the exact same information, even though they go to different schools and they're in different households, they spend so much time online, they spend so much time on social media, Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. can watch the same things on YouTube, um, that they can actually have a shared worldview even though they are literally thousands and thousands of miles away, and yet they will both have the experiences of their grandparents where they're like, why do you even do that? But when they get to university, and let's say they both decide to go to university in London, like anyone would, they, they meet each other and they're like, oh, you get it, yeah, you watch this show as well. And, and all these like eureka moments of similarities arise. And I think it's, for the church, what it essentially means is that... Um, which I've been trying to explore some more um, for myself is that there's a there's a there's now like a hmm, be careful with this word there's like a transcendent culture being formed. Before we would think of culture as um, mm-hmm. you know your geography, yeah. the foods you eat, uh, the clothes, the customs, the rituals in your area, the religious af- affiliations, and things like that. But actually. Pop culture is becoming a very credible form of culture. It's not just like a sub-thing thing. It's, it's actually creating its own parallel to being Yoruba, for example. Mm. that, that <laughs> <laughs> In a very real sense that someone, someone can be in this shared culture up there irrespective of where they physically are in geography, which means we've got a new culture to study. Um, if we're gonna really reach Generation Z. Yeah. Because we could we could say, you know, we're gonna go and be missionaries uh to Uganda and then arrive there and the kids that we're trying to preach to are very different to the things we've been reading in the in the library in our in our private space because we spent so much time studying the details of um the history whereas the kids you start preaching to are more concerned about what happened on Love Island. And 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 you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so that I think that's that's one um, that's one big difference that I think the church needs to start sort of trying to pay more attention to.
1: When when it comes to evangelizing to to that to that subcategory, because I had the same one in mind as well. Um, I think something that really stuck out. Well, I almost said stuck out. Is that I, <laughs> I was only I only lived in Manchester until I was like three, by the way. Um, stuck out. But yeah, some words have haunted me. Maybe Gabby, it's um, Gabby. Yeah, it's Gabby, <laughs> she's bringing it back. So I think one thing that really stuck out to me when when I started to think through just technology for you know for Generation Z is that when I was young, I, w- I was probably in about like year seven, year eight. So what's that, like maybe 12, 13 years old. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I got my first like Sony or Nokia 3210 or whatever it was, <laughs> And I remember having Snake on that, you know, and, and playing that in class, and and then teachers being like, I didn't even have a phone when I was your age. You know, <laughs> phones didn't even exist, or something like that, you know. Um, and we and, 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 and I thought, wow, oh, you guys really live in the past. Like, now my one-year-old daughter knows how to unlock my, my <laughs> iPad, how to go onto YouTube or Netflix, and how to select through her shows how to skip the ads. Um, you know, and that's... And that's at inc- one. Yeah, at, at one. And that's <laughs> incredible. Like, if the battery's dead, she gets angry. Like, <laughs> like it's, that, it's, that kind of, it's that kind of world. And really, so we've gone from a generation like the millennials who have adapted to the changing technolog- um, technological sphere and, and the rise of social media, et cetera, and who use, for example, Twitter to voice an opinion here or there or Instagram to upload a moment and, and whatnot to this world now where you have kids aged 10 um 11 12 who have tens if not hundreds of thousands of followers online um and possibly more who are making thousands upon thousands when it comes to um sponsorship and 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 advertisements and 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 money from these kind of platforms who now feel that it's their god-given right to voice certain opinions um online in an instant and reach uh, a wide population and at the same time as much as their kingdoms as they can rise and build up these 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 pictures in these kingdoms at the same time it's also got contrary effects in the fact that you have people who are being more mentally instable than any other generation that's gone before them because now they live in this filter-based world um they live in a world whereby now your opinions if they're not politically correct Can be shut down by millions of people through retweets and 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 comments in an instant and that's just and this just creates all sorts of pressure on when it comes to things like image and 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 social presence for 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 kids for young kids and so those kind of things are really really big and so whereas for me um in my generation the big thing was purchasing something that was like g star or um, or some Nike clothing or whatever it might be, I don't know, you know, um, the latest trainers or whatever, for them, it's how many followers do you have? You know, you can't just fix that with money, um, and you can't just go and rectify that. And all of a sudden, people can start to easily conflate things like um, a lack of following or people unfollowing them for a lack of love or... Um, a lack of security in self, and, 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 and all those kind of things start to form. And so I think we're living, we're actually dealing with a generation who as well as this transcendent culture in the sense that they can share opinions and views, etc., so quickly and, and access information so easily. It's, it's also this, dare I say, this virtual reality um, in which they live online in their phones, et cetera. I even watched them um, with my daughter. I say with my daughter, but really today. It was the only, only today I watched this. And um, The Smiley, the Emoji film movie or something like that. Oh, yeah. Like I, wa- I watched that today with my daughter. At one point my daughter left and I finished it. Um, <laughs> but that movie was literally telling or saying essentially how there's a world inside your phone. Um, and as they were just breaking down different things and they were really, you know, they were quite punny in numerous sections. I was actually looking at it and I was like, wow, like. Throughout the whole film, the actual people in the film only said to each other maybe like 10 words if that. Um, that might be an overstatement. But most of their communication was through like emojis and, and, and sending messages to one to another on, on, on the phone. And, and, that was, and that was the universe in which everyone lived. And, and the apps were like, yeah, this is his favorite app. And this is his favorite emoji. And this is the favorite thing he does. And this is the apps that he's using. And the moment something goes wrong, he has to get his phone refreshed. And, and, and that's just a, a different type of world altogether. So yeah, I think Generation Z is going to be a very phone-based, internet-based, online-based, detached-from-reality-based group who have a lot of mental difficulties and struggles and pressures and simultaneously um, a lot of access to information globally who we're just going to have to learn to address, even, by the way, in one sense, stepping into those, um, those media outlets and whatnot as well and trying to show them that there's realities that are greater than um facebook releasing a new uh blockchain technology cryptocurrency you know things like that like there are things beyond um beyond what what we would consider what well, what they consider yeah. out you know what I mean up to date so like mm-hmm. new phones and things of that kind of nature and, and, and mm-hmm. whatnot new
2: apps uh yeah even to kind of to add with the whole um internet and i was kind of reading something today about like half of teens spend three to four hours uh on their phones in terms of just actual screen time so i day. think about right. yeah like in terms of how that impacts um social interaction the importance of community in the church and even when we think of like how does the church deal with like of course we have the differences of the millennials but how did the church now deal with generation Z? where i'm thinking of the rise of like secularism where now kids as young as 10 already identified themselves as atheists or even biblical literacy i think they will probably be uh one of the least kind of developed in terms of understanding uh the common things uh also thinking of the fact that they may even lose meaning so when we were growing up christmas we uh, we thought about it even though it was about like gifts we also thought okay it's about someone called christ as well whereas now they're getting the the things but they don't actually even get the substance behind it so it's like how did the church kind of engage with all the rise of of what this could impact on generation z and how does the gospel kind of relate to that
0: Um, Well, I would say first that I think in terms of the church engaging with Generation Z, the church have to make um, a special effort uh, to display the tangible things that the church gives that the invisible internet world can't. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, for example, you have, you know, I think we'll discuss this in a live show, or at least it was mentioned, you know, virtual reality church where people can put on VR and be in church and they can change the settings. They can move from Anglican to um, Baptist to Presbyterian and they can, and they can add the features and edit Baptist. and they can make it what they want. And they can lie in bed <laughs> on a Sunday. How <laughs> do you end up Presbyterian? Anyway, <laughs> I'm coming back for you. Don't we worry. saw what you was doing That is Israel. They can, they can do all those edits and stuff, have church when they wake up on Sunday, take it off and then continue the day. And that's, I mean, that's That's new technology now, but we, we know how technology moves that that easily in six years could be the norm um, at least as a possibility it could um so emph- emphasizing the the tangible things that can't be offered through the the digital world um i think in one way shows the continued rev- relevance of the church so for example just the the sacraments for example right mm. you you the, the idea that part of being a church is to be baptized into the community and to partake in the Lord's Supper is something that you can't do over VR. No matter how much that um, imaginary wafer enters your imaginary virtual mouth, it has not entered your mouth. Um, And so that's just one, in terms of the theology of the church, showing that okay, these are are tangible things that you need to be part of the community. Um, And I think we will have to emphasize more than we ever have an actual shared community of life which inevitably will move us away from what has been a kind of dominant theme of um, sort of like popping in and popping out. You know, the, the, the view of churches, I go there for one hour on a Sunday um, to get an, a particular experience. It's catered case of that experience, it's all lovely, and then I go, because now what's happened is that experience can be given in their home. So if, they, if, if lots of people are going to church for the experience, and now they can get the experience at home, all of a sudden the relevance of the church disappears. But if people are seeing that actually church is to be in community and that's emphasised, they realise I can't get yeah. that over VR, over Facebook, a Facebook group, and so on and so forth. So showing those those things that can't be given um, through the internet community will be a key part of the church's engagement.
2: Richard, anything to add? No, no, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, because I, I, even when I was kind of reading through some of the... Um, the Generation Z um, kind of implications. I was even reading something about like just gender identity, sexual expression, um, and there's mm-hmm. going to be so many things that um, the church is going to have to really uh, be mindful of and be aware of uh, when you contrast that to the previous generations. Uh, so it's yeah, it's I'm definitely praying for pastors and elders um, who are just mm-hmm. doing the work because it's going to be a lot. Um, and I think. I think actually, I think
1: one thing that we have to be very mindful of, to be fair, is um, just the area of justice because mm-hmm. this is part of the, the the message of the podcast but truth be told one of the big issues with as we get increasingly younger is that issues of justice are becoming an increasingly bigger and bigger and bigger um you know social intervention social justice um you know affirmative action all those kind of th- i saw that america was looking at potentially giving reparations now even you know for even things do you know what i mean social justice is really climbing to the top of a lot of people's uh, viewpoints and and what they're saying is that the church isn't present anyway when it comes to these things and because they're saying that you know they can in one sense virtualize the church and and say that you don't physically because the church is not physically doing anything in one sense we don't need to but because the church really should be remembering the poor and caring for the widows and do you know what I mean and 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 engaging in those in those social endeavors in the community i.e. giving their brother you know like it says in James um don't just tell your brother god bless but Give him some bread when he's hungry. That kind of thing. When the church is actually doing those kind of things, then we do need a physical presence. We do need to be physically in and amongst our communities, engaging them physically, helping them physically. And when we are helping the downtrodden and and addressing the needs and 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 and, and combating um, issues of racism and um and oppression and all these, I mean, and all these kind of things and gang violence and whatnot in the community, then there won't be any question as to what the physical purpose of the church is it's 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 to engage and change and transform the community and to be a light amongst those who are currently in darkness Mm. so
2: so what what are things that the church should be uh, thinking through engaging when they think about the topic of justice in London
0: well to be specific to London um, I think Mm. the church should be Okay, let me, let me let me backtrack by saying first of all the church should be looking specifically in, in its local community to see what the needs the immediate needs are for that specific area so i backtracked to that because mm-hmm. i realize actually that you know london has different needs from borough to borough from town yeah. to town that can differ greatly actually um, and so a church in richmond will have i think a very different outlook on what its role is in its community to a church Churching. in Tower cool. Hamlets yeah, um, and so on. So I'll start with that by saying, seeing the needs and actually doing, using your resources. So the, the idea isn't to, to um, put on the church like some sort of moral um, exhaustion where you overburden the church and say, oh, um, because we affirm and understand that social justice is something that we're called to do, you have to do everything now. But the idea is that, say, if we are called to this, we have to start asking the question, what resources, what gifts, what 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 are the tools we have presently, and what can they meet in the community? That mm-hmm. means we can meet some things, but also recognise that we can't meet everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that, our, that what is not acceptable is to do nothing, because we have been given something. We yes. have been given something, so we can do something in our community. Um, I would say to... To follow on to continue with the theme of like the internet and technology as well, given the amplified voices that we have as well, I think an immediate calling for the church is then to be more vocal mm. than it's ever been before because being more vocal is something that can be done. Um, that, you know, part of the reason why younger and younger generations are so enthusiastic about social justice Social justice is just because it's more visible yeah. right it's you i mean if you if you go on facebook right now after like your third post you're gonna see um kids in syria and then the next one will be someone being shot by the police and the one following will be a boy was stabbed in in some part of london and you and you see that yeah. 50 years ago all of those things would have still happened but you wouldn't have, you would have gone your entire day not knowing. And so the question obviously is now, if the, if the world is now saying, we are more we are more aware of it and we can see all of this now, um, and they look to the church and say, you can see it too, are you gonna say something or are you just gonna carry on scrolling? And so I think for us is to say, alongside taking our, our, our gifts and stewarding them well in our local communities, part of another aspect for us is to say, we have a voice, let us start to use that voice and to steward technology as a gift, um, to actually speak against these acts and to speak for um, the oppressed, for the marginalized, to speak um, and actually amplify those who are doing something. So even just you know, recognizing that we can use our voice to amplify organizations that are on the ground and doing things like that and saying, we know this group. Um, so for example, Power the Fight, I keep on mentioning them because as I learn more, it's just amazing. Power the Fight is an organization founded by uh, Ben Lindsay, pastoring. In Greenwich, um, focused on youth and gu- youth violence, gang violence in London, and so saying that if we know about them, and if we know that this is the work they're doing, actually we're going to tell everyone that we can about them. We're going to um, see if they, if they can speak at um, the local um, youth club on this issue to and actually address it because we know that they have the tools, right? So we okay, we don't have the expertise, we don't have the training, but we know people that do have the training. So let's. Use our voice to amplify their work and things like that, where mm. we can actually continue to be engaged um, with the with the needs of the city. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Is, do, do you think there's any kind of unique issues facing London uh, specifically that the, that Christians need to be um, active uh, and, and need to engage in order to be effective uh, with dealing with like mission and and justice?
1: Yeah, I th- I think so. Me speaking quite personally, I I. By the time that I got to about the age of by the time I got to my age now, probably, I still know more people who have died to knife crime than I do like old age. And that's that's scary. Sorry, I'm not gonna tear on a podcast. But obviously, like I've seen I, I've seen a lot of friends, good friends, people who are at my house one day and like gone within a week. Like I've seen that a lot. People who were meant to be coming to my daughter's first birthday who didn't make it because they died. Like that kind of thing is prevalent in London at the moment. And it's and it's gaining it's gaining more and more momentum in terms of like people speaking about it. But the church actually needs to be out there engaging um more and more with those kind of issues that are happening. Um they need to be engaging the communities where they're happening. And, you know, the loss of life, the taking of life, the trivializing of life. Um, when you live, when again, when we, when people are growing up in an age whereby social media, as Israel was saying, you know, these issues that used to happen already, but now are being put to the top of people's minds and through social media, um, and it's present and it's visible, and we all see it now. When that's happening day in day out, and people are seeing death after death after death after death. At the very least, what it does is what it happened, what it did to me, and I wrote about it in an article. But it desensitizes you to, to death, you know, and it desensitizes to you to, um, to what you know to the to the value of human life, um, and to the fact that you know the power of life and death, you know, belongs to the Lord, not to us. And that's that's a message. Even at the very least, that's a message that the church needs to be vocal about, needs to be declaring, and needs to be speaking out to. I honestly. And this can be done through through numerous means that can be literally finding people on the street who are on these corners who are do you know what I mean who are up to no good, just and speaking to them about the gospel, literally straight up old school evangelism and it can and it can also be like engaging in um prison ministries, for example, and things of that kind of nature um, we, we engage in prison ministry. I can tell you this without a shadow of a doubt there are not enough sound Christians in the prisons like and because of that you have one or two weeks in a month where you'll get some church who's going to preach to these prisoners the gospel, and then you're gonna get the remaining two to three weeks in a month where they're just gonna hear nonsense. And that's painful because then these kids who are in these prisons are not actually consistently hearing sound teaching. And they want to come out of their cells to hear the truth because really, truth be told, they are bored, they spend 20 plus hours in their cell a day, and they want to get out. And so even if getting out means coming to the chapel, the least we can do is give them the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the second thing I wanted to say is, even with regards to something, just piggybacking off Israel's point previously, um, something we can actually do. Just yes, we can. We can. We don't give a, more than what we than what we have, right? Um, but we do give something. Um, John six is just one of my favorite chapters. When I see Christ there, feed the five thousand. It's beautiful because it says that God, even before before we see an immediate preaching of the gospel to them, etc. It's it's beautiful because Christ cares for the body as well as the soul. But then what we see subsequently is that Christ, when they follow him across the river, Christ can say, I'm not going to give you bread because you only follow me for bread, i.e. to say there are things more important than the body, it's the soul. And so what we don't want to do in pursuing these social endeavors is then lose the primary message of the church, that Christ didn't come to give bread but to be bread, and that's that's something that, that's more valuable than any. Do you know I mean, than anything else that we can possibly give the, uh, these guys and these guys and girls in the streets, etc. And so I think just maintaining that message, preaching that faithfully, and exp- and preaching that message in as ma- as as many channels as possible is is absolutely wonderful. Um, simultaneously, stretching ourselves, not just giving but stretching, um, sacrificing. Um, our time, our resources, etc., in order to expand the work of the gospel for the, through the ch- um, through the church is another important thing, um, and then just you know just just preaching this gospel consistently. I think I think these things are these things are key, and trying to find ways to actually engage with the 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 struggling, the the downtrodden, the widows, the parents who have lost children. You know, finding ways to engage with them and actually to say, listen, even though you're going through pain, there's hope. Uh, beyond the grave do you know what I mean and 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 there's a and there's a hope in which which you can trust in which is imperishable uncorruptible and 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 one that will actually last So yeah so
2: Th- that's really important cause especially in uh you kind of i, f- I definitely sense like a, the growing skepticism just generally i don't know if it's the rise of the internet or there's always one conspiracy theorist you know but every nobody wants to believe anything everyone is so it's so mm. it's such a skeptic and they and they can be and they're a lot uh, they do that a lot with the church as well so they say okay what are you guys doing about social justice do you guys what do you even believe it's, how do you know the Bible's true um and so the way we, yeah so we ensuring us that we engage of course uh, we want to help uh, when i think of social justice I, we, as as richard as richard mentioned we want to we want to give them the bread but we also want to give them we'll go give them the gospel as well like justice done correctly Ooh, sorry, something both. very quick to add as go well ahead. just
1: with regards to our local community something we also make, need to make sure we're doing is studying Yes, Um, We need to make sure we're studying the word and that we're very thorough with that. One of the big things we keep mentioning is that kids nowadays, they have access to information galore. And even if they don't understand it fully, they can go online and say something like, and and see tough questions posed to Christians and start asking some of them to you and saying, this is why I don't believe the Bible. And Christians need to be able to give a reason for the hope that's within. That's just so fundamental and that's something we can't Overlook, you know. Um, I remember seeing very, very recently a friend just messaging me and asking me, Richard, what do you think of this? How do I respond? And he went online and he showed me a tweet, and it was essentially saying something like, um, the Bible doesn't forbid homosexuality or something of that kind of ilk, and said, look, apparently this word wasn't in the original text, and you then have fifty thousand people retweeting it, and everybody jumping on top of that bandwagon, And, and he's thinking. How do I respond to something like that? Or how do I deal with something like that? And that actually just requires Christians, actually, especially to understand something we see throughout history is just there's constantly issues that bombard the church at different times. In the time of John, for example, it was doetism and Gnosticism and saying that Christ didn't really come in the flesh, etc. Or that yeah, I mean, that he wasn't really God and, and all of these, re- these weird kind of things. Um, by the time of Augustine, you're dealing with um, him and Irenaeus. or No, not him and Irenaeus, him and... Um, Pelagian and, and, yeah, and whatnot, plagian. and they're going back and forth on on, on numerous <laughs> things. Imagine it, Irenaeus, you know, <laughs> big man. Um, but yeah, they're going back and forth on numerous issues like that. And do you know I mean, and at different times during the church, you just have different, you know, theological creeds that need to be formed, and different mm-hmm. um, t- times where the church needs to come together and agree on a particular set of truths, just to affirm and and deal with things that the ch- the community is engaging with. Like right now, we have those issues. You know, everything from ranging from politics to um to social justice to do you know what I mean like you name it to sexual ethics and whatnot like there are things the church needs to come together and make bold declarations about and to not be ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of god unto salvation for those yeah. who believe and and that's just that's just something and so we need to be able to give a reason for the hope within contend for the faith and actually declare the gospel boldly so, yeah. yeah
2: i think i think biblical literacy is very important because um uh the, the, the generations to come are just going to know less and less about the Bible. Um, yeah. Even when you think of like primary school, when I was growing up, there was like we used to say prayers, and I don't know how that's going to be in 20 years' time. So it, it will require us to actually teach the watching world mm. the things that we may just assume you should know. Um,
1: they know less and less, but they can pose even more difficult questions. Yeah. It's just, it's just they know less and less, and they know more <laughs> and more at the same time. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah.
2: Is there any like unique idols um, that you can speak prophetically on that? In in London, so so f- for example, for me, I think of I've seen maybe it's because I'm speaking to people and there's like a safe kind of position to take into saying I don't know. So if you speak to people and you give them the Christian faith, they're like, "Well, how do I know that like Islam isn't isn't the f-? and they just stay in that safety. uh And for me, it's like trying to really kind of make what you will of of Christ. Like wh- what is he? What does he mean to you? Are you denying him? Or like don't kind of stay in this safe zone. And it, it made me think of um. C.S. Lewis, uh, The Lion, Witch and the Road Road, when, when um, it, asked, I think Susie asks Mr. Beaver, like, is Aslan safe? And he goes, he, he isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king. And so for me, it's like speaking to that and trying to force London to kind of pry out of that, that comfortable safety because it leads to hell mm. um, and just and sh- wanting them to, to really take it seriously. But is there any kind of like other idols or things that you see in London?
0: Uh, the first thing I'll say is in, in in following from the point you made about like the safety of being sceptical and doubted because there are so many. Obviously, with just the amount of information we have, is you will, you will find five interpretations of everything in existence. So you, if you want to stay in a place of doubt and scepticism, you you easily can. Um, but I think it's important for us to recognise that. Doubt was never meant to be a, a place in which we rest and make a home, um, because it doesn't actually sustain anything in and of itself. The purpose of doubt is to lead to a deeper understanding of a particular truth. So you're meant to, even in science, right? That's how it works. You question a theory because you want to get to a more thorough theory. You don't question a theory and then say, "Well, well we've questioned it. We're not sure. Let's go home." Like that's skepticism in every field. is 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 Its purpose is to lead to a greater truth. yeah. Um, and so so that's to say that doubt in and of itself isn't bad, but we have to push against the idea that doubt in and of itself is is home. Yeah. Um, it's meant to actually point to something greater and a more secure home that we can then rest in. Um, in terms of idols, for London, I mean, <sighs> are, the thing is, with, with London being so... Um, I'm going to mention some, but I want to say with London being so diverse, they're just... It's a, it's a, there are idols everywhere. Um, there, are, there, there are literally idols in terms of the wood and the shrines and so on. And then there are the shrines we make for ourselves with, with the TV in the center of our house that we decorate and treat like a shrine that we, we worship and serve every six o'clock after work because we want to receive the goodness from this idol and so on. Um, there's consumerism, right? Where in terms of the fact that we... We we see our our beings as um, things that only serve to receive. We 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 design our lives as receivers, so that if we're not receiving something that makes us more of an idealized version of ourselves, we cut it off and we get rid of it. Um, there's obviously the success that that comes with the city. Um, that London is a place people come to to make something of their life, to make their life count. They want to, you know. Do well in the theatre industry. They want to become a, a major banker and so on and so forth. Uh, I had another one, and now it skips my mind. And I think that's God telling me that Richard should speak next. I was going to say while you're while you're thinking <laughs> pluralism,
1: um, yeah. pluralism. Yeah, pluralism is a is a big one. Um, I was actually just thinking about what you guys were saying um, about you know having good intentions and not and not what's it called um, and not imposing upon somebody else's view and that whole like libertarian kind of kind of mindset and having letting everyone have their own kind of autonomy and, and that's sacred and that's what should be um should be above anything else um i was listening to a musician recently on spotify on, on discover weekly and <laughs> and trust me like it was just random and i i mean just random songs and at one point in the middle of a of a random song that i was listening to the musician said something along the lines of um there's a like hell is a is going to be a p- the pathway to hell is going to be paid with good intentions um and all I could think of was, you know, there's a way that seems right to man, but it leads on to death. And and it was even though this this musician was probably as carnal as they come, was still, <laughs> do you know what I mean, still had that, got something in common grace that literally good intentions doesn't mean it's doesn't mean you're doesn't mean you're right doesn't mean you're holy, um, you know. And with regards to this idea of doubt and 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 even just like not challenging one another and and and. Saying that everybody can have their own view and that that should be that should be sacred to them. We shouldn't touch that. And who are we to say to speak to somebody else's opinion? Like when we start to have that kind of viewpoint and we just accept everything as truth, then we're really just firmly planting our feet in, in the middle in the mid And it's and it's not that's not that can't sustain you. That won't, when the winds blow, you know, and and the storm comes, you want to find yourself standing on rock, not not in the middle of every you know single opinion and view out there. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to pluralism, I, I, I spoke on, I, my first article ever for Black Berea was dealing with just the millennials' regress in the sense that, you know, back in the time of the Renaissance, et cetera, it, was, it was it was prized for people to be polymaths and to, to, to pick up numerous instruments and speak numerous languages and to engage with different worldviews and the Socratic method and things like challenging one another was, was something to be esteemed highly. By the time that, and and same in the church, we had great thinkers, people who would, you know, people like Jonathan Edwards resolved from the age of 19. If if there was ever a theological doctrine that he couldn't fully understand, he would make it his lifelong mission to figure that thing out. Like, that's the kind of um, conviction that has now been lost, because in this day and age, when we don't know something, because, for example, even just something as simple as we have access to information quickly, we don't want to think hard about things. Um, we don't want to we don't want to if somebody poses a different view we don't want to critically engage that thing you know if we can't go online and google the response in two minutes then we're then we're done trying to wrestle with it but truth be told what actually was actually required of us is to go and dig down deep and to think through things and to read through the scriptures and this comes back to learning and just and and, and actually be able to say no just because you hold a view doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to engage in one another's worldviews and 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 that's the idea of Oppositional apologetics. I'm saying is it, but I know it is. Just to be <laughs> able do this to all the time as just well. Just <laughs> to be able to actually say, raw like let me I want to embrace your worldview, understand your worldview, and then explain why that worldview is inconsistent and just why it can't sustain and why it can't give life and why it's not enough. And then I want to bring you to my worldview and I want to show you why, in my worldview, we have a God who creates a man who has fallen. Uh, a christ who has who has lived the perfect life that we could not that we couldn't live and died the death we should have died risen for our justification is now at the right hand of god and is now interceding on our behalf and that those who trust in him will just do you know what i mean are saved and that we might have eternity with him and and it speaks to every single part of humanity whether it's the evil that's in the world whether it's the um the hope that's to come you know whether it's an explanation of the things that have already come in the past it speaks to it all um perfectly you know and so yeah. I think, I think pluralism and really just engaging with things critically is something that we have to be careful not to idolize. Because, mind you, the leaders of today are esteemed for being pluralistic, you know, and esteemed for not critically engaging. Yeah. And so when we're being contrarian in our thinking here, we actually have to say, no, we're not, we're not going to follow the leaders of the day, nor are we going to follow the general populace. But we're going to say, no, the church needs to constantly be engaging with mindsets and, and views and opinions humbly, but peace where possible, truth at all costs, that, that kind of mindset.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. As we're closing this out, I'm kind of coming to Israel and I'll come back to you, Richard, but let's say you're giving a speech to a local church. So, pastors, You don't want to speak for me. <laughs> pastors, there, I have a dream. <laughs> 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 you're not <giving> speech. <laughs> uh, you're giving them a speech. Uh, so pastors, there, the laymen are there, the members are there. Um, and because we've, we've spoken about mission, we've spoken about justice, we've spoken about um, engaging the multi ethnic, multicultural church, what are kind of like the practical st- st- um, steps or practical things you'd want to encourage them with, um, as as they as a local of church, seek to do these things to the glory of the Lord.
0: Just pastors or churches. No, I said
2: pastors, church, church members. Church me- so oh. you can you can speak to the pastors but also to the members.
0: As in terms of like next
2: steps. Yeah, next, next steps, steps. Things to push for, things to push against. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um
0: Well, I would say ah, oh, this is interesting.
2: I'm coming to you Richard, by the way.
0: I'm trying pressure. to. You see, you see, what I'm trying to do actually, which is really cheeky. Is I want to try and make a three-point sermon right now, <laughs> in my head. I shouldn't try and force it. I really should. Keep it quick. Uh, <laughs> 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 Thanks. Three um, lines. Three lines. That would that would be a miracle, in all honesty. Uh, okay, I would I would start by saying I think the an immediate next step is to is to pray and to study. Um, I think to whenever we become aware of something. Um, we have like a, a and, I, and I experience this with, with like my moments when I get nerdy about a topic. There's, there's, there's the moments where you, 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 you sort of become aware of something, and there's a brief window where you're willing to dive into it. Now, if you don't dive into it in that brief window, life just happens, right? And then before you know it, you come back six months later, you try to dive into it, you're like... <laughs> This is tough. I know all of a sudden. So I, I would say whenever, whenever we we become, and this is not just for now. This is, I guess, for for any time this happens. Whenever we become aware of something that we we actually see that we didn't see before, um, and we feel that need to actually understand it deeper, we should take that opportunity. Those that those windows of opportunity where we are willing to dive into something um, deeper and to, to really work it out for ourselves, grab those opportunities by the neck, you know, and really. Throw yourself into it as much as is possible. Um, Understand the local community. Understand um, the issues that you weren't previously aware of and see, okay, where where can we um, fill holes in here? Um, The second thing I would say is partnership and collaboration. Um, I think there's a... And I missed missed him, so I'm really upset. If he's listening, he's not listening to this, but if you are listening to this, (laughs) Luke Breverton... I'm so sorry I missed your talk. So there's a... (laughs) That was really weird. <laughs> There's um, <laughs> at, at him, just at him, at him <laughs> on your own. I don't know There's him. a no. professor. He's a, he's a he's a Londoner actually living in Durham, North Carolina. Luke Breverton um, at Duke Divinity. Um, he wrote a book uh, on Christian Christianity and and democracy, Christianity and a case for democracy. And he basically tries to show how the Christian faith actually equips Christians to be more democratic to. Um, throw themselves into civic society and to um, civic life um, in partnership and um, co-belligerence that I think Francis Schaeffer called it co-belligerence with other community groups for the purposes of actually bringing about good in the local area. So if, and so one of the things he emphasizes is the idea of community organizing um, and saying who can we partner with um, in the area that are meeting needs that we can give the resources to them or they can serve us and help improve this area? How can we structure our relationship with other institutions, with other um, groups so that we can advance a particular good in this one area and then see how we can advance it in this area and really form a network um, within our local community, within our city to bring about good for all people. Um, And I wish I had a third point, but it it won't be a three point sermon today.
2: Uh, (laughs) Richard, have you jotted down your three point sermon?
1: No, I was thinking about it, but n- not so, so much there. I think on the topic of diversity, I think it comes down to really appreciating that we are homogenous. I mean, we are, sorry. What's the opposite to homogenous? Diverse. There's yeah. a word beginning with H now, sure. H- hetero, H- yeah, but
2: that's- that.
1: Heterogenous. Heterogeneous. <laughs> <laughs> Default spoke about. Say it in, in a British way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah, we're diverse. We're not called to be uniform. We're called to be unified. Um, mm. And when we appreciate that, then I think Continue. we will we will go a long way when it comes to the issue of diversity. And I think one thing that pastors can do a lot more of is to preach something that we don't preach as much nowadays, but is is literally our union with Christ and just and just what that looks like. Um wow. In the church, what that means, you know, for us, the fact that we, you know, are sharing in his sufferings, that we know his power, that we're becoming like him—something that we speak about so constantly in Philippians—is just that whole idea of fellowship in the gospel, and 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 unity, and how Paul is saying, really, even in the midst of the struggles that you guys are going through in Philippi and oppression from all of those former Roman soldiers who have known, do you know what I mean, um, who used to be like patriots and are not willing to serve another king, which is Christ um you we i'm also going through you know trouble and trouble and i'm in shackles in bondage and even though it looks like it couldn't be bleaker for any of us one thing that we do know is that we're unified in christ you know that our bonds are formed based on the blood of christ and that's stronger bonds than anything else you know we're we're bound by his blood um and so yes we might be different in terms of the clothes we wear the shoes we buy the car we drive the um, or the car we don't drive, um, the house we do or don't own, the, do you know what I mean, the backgrounds, the whatever, um, even just the cultural differences, but if we're united in Christ, um, you're closer to me than brother, mother, father, sister, you know, there's a, there's a unique way in which we're bound, um, that I can't, I can't explain, and I can't, and can't be broken, and that's just necessary for us to really understand what it means to really have fellowship one with another because even when it comes to things like disputes, for example, or differences that will arise because we're coming from different cultures and different backgrounds and there will be clashes at times. But one thing that we do know is that even in the midst of all of that, even if you did offend me, Mary, um, when all is said and done, like my relationship is not to you directly, it's through Christ. And because it's through Christ and he forgives me and he forgives you, who am I to reject you? You know, um, that's to try and form a, ba- a bond with you that's that's separate from him, and that's and that's that's not possible. And I think when we have that so ingrained within our church community, and that's something that we just know of to be true within the ch- within the church community, then by extension, when we start to address the wider community surrounding us, they will see us as those who are unified in Him and not based on things like class or race. Or anything of that sort, but just based on Christ and this teaching, and they will want to know more and more about this message that we declare, that has actually instilled uh, love and and help and support in such a in such a community as as that, you know. Um, so yeah, definitely think we should speak to those two things and bikes. Ex- and thirdly, just extending a bit broader than your immediate community, just thinking about that online presence as well. Um, we mentioned it many times already, but just thinking through as a church, what can we do with regards to speaking to issues on these public platforms um, that have actually given us the opportunity to speak for free to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if not billions of people in an instant. You know, it's 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 a scary thing. Um, maybe you should watch you you let have access to your accounts and whatnot, but it's something that <laughs> I definitely think churches could do more with. Um, in terms of actually just thinking, how can we engage? And that's not just as a church profile or whatever, but even just as individual Christians who are on these platforms. Um, how do we speak to people on these platforms whilst actually showing them that there's life outside of these platforms, kind of thing. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I think I'll just add uh, how how desirous are we to engage those who are unlike us? Um, mm. if I think everyone has their personal preferences, their traditions, things they hold on to, but. For the sake of the gospel, how 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 far can we go to really engage and pull? Mm. Um, so young to old, old to young. Like, how willing are we to, if we know an older woman hasn't been to church in weeks and she can't physically get on the internet because she doesn't have a laptop, how willing are we to send her a, a letter with the notes from Sunday with an encouragement, or to text her and say we're praying or to for her? To pick her up even. Yeah, or to pick her up. Physically, you know, how willing yeah. are we to visit those who don't have the same interests as us, don't have the same kind of um, things that they like that we like like how willing are we to go um and then also letting the the gospel be the umbrella that kind of shapes the church so we, mm-hmm. we do all things because of the gospel not because we like it but because we mm. we, we know it honors the lord any resources as we close up we'll go to our resource man on the right any books
0: um just Sermons. two <laughs> uh so there's one i really 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 um enjoyed which was helpful in terms So, on the topic of like connecting justice and mission, um, Harvey Kahn has a book called Evangelism, Doing Justice and Preaching Grace. That was transformative for me, I think, in terms of seeing the connection between the two. There's one theme, just to give you a little taste, uh, where he Teaser. he spoke about um, the dynamic of seeing humans as simultaneously sinners and sinned against, that every person is a sinner, which means they do wrong, that they've done wrong, which is why we preach the gospel, we preach grace, but they've also been sinned against, that means they've been the recipients of injustice, of wrongdoing, which is what we seek justice for them. So we, we can't view humans as just one and not the other, um, but we have to see them as both, and that allows us to do justice and to preach grace at the same time. Um, the second book would be One Body, One Spirit by George Yancey, uh, who, and that's a book on um, the multi-ethnic church, where it basically gives like a bunch of um, advice, solutions, proposals on how to make the, on, on for, ch- for church leaders, will be beneficial for anyone really, for church leaders on what it means like to actually try and form a multi-ethnic church and to seek diversity
1: in the community.
2: Richard, do you have any resources to add?
1: Um, the Gagging of God by Dear Carson, um, addressing the postmodern world. Uh, likewise, preaching Christ to a postmodern world. I think that's by it's that by Keller.
2: Keller count really? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm surprised it came from Richard though. That's oh, no, good. That's, right, that's good. That's good. No, that's it good. came from me. I'm having an influence you board, on you. Bro. I like that.
1: Um, it's ordered like five copies.
0: I I feel like I, four. I'm, I'm, I feel like that's uh, a a um, a course on iTunes. U. Preaching Christ to the Postmodern World. Or, yeah, I feel like, I think that's actually- um, I think it might be based, a, on,
1: uh, based on Keller's series or something like that. But,
0: yeah, I know, I know he has with Edmund Clowney, a course called Preaching yeah. Christ to the Postmodern World. Um, and I think there's most likely a book that came out of that And then well.
1: no, I think the final thing, this isn't as related, but it's a good read. Um, some bitch you might have to be, but it's a good read. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, life together. That mm. was also quite a nice. You got a couple yeah. nods in the yeah. audience. Um, yeah. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed uh, okay. reading that. So, yeah. Okay.